all the feels on this one. Because that's what the science says. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. Let's talk about what this looks like in real life. Facts do not have opinions. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Science is true whether or not you believe in it. Self-love is really about self-respect and Welcome back to the Whole View episode 470. You can hear the joy in my voice because I'm so excited <laughs> about today's topic. <laughs> You're excited now, but wait till we get into it. Yeah, okay. I feel like the show may need an introduction similar to the real world to find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. Join us on the Patreon because here on the show... <laughs> We're going to dig into the science. Um, I sent Sarah some articles, and Sarah was like, grumble, grumble, fine, we'll do another moon show. Um, But I know we will hash out what we really think over on the patreon.com slash whole view. And when you join, it'll give you to the Q&A, which we are doing live this week. You'll be able to watch the video back when you join. So double bonus (laughs) if you join the Patreon this week. Yeah, hopefully by the time we get to our Q&A, because we haven't done it yet when we're actually recording the show, uh, we, ha- we will have, we'll become friends again because I have a feeling this episode is going to test our friendship. No, um. we'll be fine. <laughs> Why don't you dive in? Listen, spoiler alert, there, Sarah and I are not the same people and we have differing opinions sometimes. And yep. what I love about our friendship is that we can laugh at each other that we completely disagree on this topic. <laughs> and you as a listener are going to get to hear the perspectives that you always hear from us on the show and how we each come at it and apply it to this topic. So we have done a moon show before. Um, Sarah, I'll let you kind of recap and get into the science. But this is this is not our listeners first rodeo hearing us talk about the moon. <laughs> I um, So I actually went back to our notes from, that was episode 299, so a little over, I guess almost three and a half years ago. And uh, I went back to our notes to kind of see like what we had covered to kind of feel like I could figure out where we could start today. And I had to laugh so hard when I read the like teaser description at the top of our, of the notes. It's like, in this episode, Stacey's convinced that her body and hormones are affected by the moon. What will Sarah say? <laughs> and I feel like... We could start this one the way. <laughs> yep, I agree. <laughs> um, so as a very brief recap of, of that episode, we discussed uh, some of the like really cool uh, marine life that are impacted by the lunar cycle and what's driving that, like, you know, how coral reproduce like all at the exact same time and it's timed with the, the lunar cycle. And then we sort of discussed the complete lack of evidence for any impact on human biology, uh, with, you know, like, here's the handful of, of studies with conflicting data, but really no compelling case for the moon having a substantial impact on us. And uh, Stacey, you didn't believe it then, and you still don't believe it now. So we're going to look at the studies that have been published basically since that show, and then put them into the the context of this um, 
fairly small field of research. There's not a ton of studies that have actually been sort of rigorously before performed with, you know, the appropriate controls and all of those things. So we're going to put it into the context of the other studies that pre-exist, these new ones. And, uh, and basically we're looking at three main topics. So possible effects of lunar cycles on sleep, which is where we're going to start, menstrual cycles, and then the mood cycles and bipolar disease. I want to reiterate before we jump into this that I firmly believe in science. Okay. Like just because you're going to hear me maybe say some woo woo stuff. Um, <laughs> I also know that sometimes the science hasn't caught up to fully understanding things. So where we once thought the earth was at the center of the universe and it was flat. Um, I don't check my daily horoscope. That's not what I'm articulating here. But I do believe that science still has more to discover about the gravitational pull of the moon and the entire universe and how it affects all living things in the planet, including humans. And according to my stories poll, 97% of you believe that as well. Um, so I think what? that that was, I think it was a bias poll because people were only responding if they agreed with me. Um, but at the same time, there, were, there was a significant portion of people that believe in something tangential to that. So I am excited to look at these three new studies and break them down and look at them so that you can evaluate from two very different perspectives <laughs> what you think they're saying and uh, where you want to take that information yourself. Because really, there's nothing we can do about the moon either way. All of it is just understanding. So um I do also want to say that the last one is my favorite. Um, so please don't turn off before we get to cover the last ones. And I'm like saying that with jazz hands excitement. Um, but, but Sarah will will give you her side of that perspective when we get there. So why don't we jump in? Um, yes, uh, my perspective. Let's break down the let's let's talk about the studies and what they show and. Um, what the limitations are of the study design. Um, so I wanted to start with sleep, um, mainly because sleep is kind of touched on in some of the other other studies. Um, and so it felt really important to kind of establish this, this piece of it first. So there was a new study just published in January 2021 called Moonstruck Sleep, Synchronization of Human Sleep with the Moon Cycle Under Field Conditions. And what they did was they measured sleep with wrist actimetry. So that is basically like a, a fancy Fitbit. Um, the, the wrist actimeters that they use for these studies measure movement. Um, they typically also measure skin temperature. And then they also can detect light versus darkness. And so they're a pretty good way to measure sleep in a non-invasive way in these types of studies. And then what they did was they looked at indigenous communities in Argentina, the, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, the Tobacom, um, and they had 98 total um, subjects that were divided between three different conditions. So they had uh, some who lived in an urban setting with full access to electricity, and then they had two different rural communities. One had limited access to electric light and the other had no access to electric light. So it helped to really differentiate um, potentially light effects versus gravitational effects. And they actually did a comparison to 
464 University of Washington undergraduate students was kind of their uh, Western uh, control group. Um, and then what they did was they they looked at how both the duration of sleep and the time of sleep onset correlated with the lunar cycle. And they basically showed that um, during a full moon, the amount of, of sleep that the um, indigenous communities got was lower than during the new moon and that the uh, time of sleep onset was delayed when the sky was brighter at night and that the there was an effect in all three of their indigenous um, groups, but basically the less access to electricity, the more the, their sleep was affected by how bright the night sky is basically from the full moon. The, the, this is sort of expected because light is the most important sight gaber. So light is a very important entrencher of circadian rhythms. We've talked about this on the show many, many, many times. So the question is, is there something happening here that is um, beyond just the sky is lighter? There also seems to be a cultural role. So as is very typical in a lot of cultures, there are a lot of uh, rituals, uh, social activities that, are, that um, occur during the full moon. There are um, times where, because the, it's brighter at night, uh, they may obtain food from the forest on those moonlit nights. Um, so they may go hunting and fishing. So there's also a cultural aspect to this where because the, there's more light at night, these indigenous cultures will um, be more active just because they can see better. Um, it's also, they have a lot of mythology associated with uh, women reproductive cycles and the moon. So that may also be represented. Um, in that case, it's in part a light effect and in part a cultural effect. I want to put this into some really important context. There was a 2013 study where what they did was they they did what's called post hoc analysis. So it's basically going back and looking at data that has already been collected in a different way. And they took uh, 64 sleep studies done, you know, it's a polysomnogram, so we're done in a sleep lab of 33 different volunteers. And they looked at volunteers who happened to come in during a new moon and happened to come in during a full moon and compared their sleep in those two different times. And what this study found, again, in 33 volunteers, was that around the full moon, they basically got a lot less deep sleep. So their deep sleep decreased by about 30%. The time it took them to fall asleep was longer, it took them five minutes longer to fall asleep, and their total sleep decreased by 20 minutes. And a lot of studies that kind of um, uh, link back to an idea that the moon may impact sleep reference this particular study. However, um, you know, it was confirmed by a 2014 study that was pretty much done, designed the same way. Let's grab all these charts and have a look at how people slept. Uh, again, 47 young, healthy volunteers showed less sleep during a full moon. But also in 2014, there was a very rigorously designed study that got 
much, much larger data sets. So they had three different large data sets. They had one that had 470 sleep studies from 366 volunteers. The other one had 757 sleep studies from 29 volunteers who each slept between 13 and 60 consecutive nights in the sleep lab. And then their third data set uh, was uh, from 870 different volunteers. And they could not reproduce the effect of the lunar cycle on any aspect of sleep in any of those three data sets. And this is actually the most rigorous study to evaluate the impact of the moon on sleep. Um, and the authors actually suggest that the, the previous results in these sort of small data sets are subject to a type of selection bias that's called the file drawer problem. So the file drawer problem is a type of bias where studies fail to reject the null hypothesis. So basically, a null hypothesis is the hypothesis that there is no effect. And when you have these types of statistics, um, different types of statistical tests uh, are needed in order to basically um, show that your effect is not explained by uh, a randomness or how you are selecting. So it's a specifically important to do when you're doing these types of post hoc analyses where you're you, basically, it's the idea, right? You're grabbing files out of a drawer um, and just the way that you're grabbing those files could be the difference, right? So it, you need to do the appropriate statistical measurements to show that any difference that you're seeing is not due to how the data was selected. There have been a couple of other studies, a 2015 study done in 795 Danish children that showed no significant changes in sleep. There was like less than a four minute difference between their groups and a 216 study done in 5,812 kids across 12 different countries that also showed less than a five minute difference in sleep duration between the groups. So the science as a whole on um, the uh, any impact on sleep from the lunar cycle shows that, at least in Western cultures, there is no effect. Um, when you're living outside with no electricity and you have this cultural association with the moon and the bright skies allow you to hunt in a way that you don't get to do on the dark skies, then it's not really a surprise that there, there may be an effect. What that doesn't tell us is the that the effect could be due to uh, you know, the gravitational pull of the moon. There's absolutely zero evidence that there would be a gravitational effect of the moon on sleep um, and that any effect there is is directly related to the brightness of the moon on a full moon versus the darkness of the night sky on a new moon. I'm not going to argue with you on this one. I'm excited about the the next two topics. I, <laughs> <laughs> I will say that in all of these, um, the idea of it affecting the moon affecting from brightness is not something that I think we could possibly measure simply because we're living a modern lifestyle with lights and different kinds of things. And so um, if we're measuring it simply by light, um, it's, I would have said like, that's impossible. We're not going to, I, I'm not even going to go there, but I am super interested in um this idea of gravitational pull, which we'll get into as we go deeper into the show. And when you hear that, if you roll your eyes, like I can see Sarah doing through this audio <laughs> format, um, <laughs> I just want to like say um, what I said in previous show is 
We know that the gravitational pull affects the tides. We are largely water. Sarah hates this. She debunked it in the first show, but I'm going to keep sticking with it. Um, I know. I know. You're going to get to go into it in the third topic. Just so. saying the force on the water molecules in your body is about a quadrillion times stronger just by you moving than by what? anything to do with the moon. What fascinates quadrillion, me. Quadrillion being the scientific uh, order of measurement. measurement. What fascinates me about this is how much you love Star Wars. And I'm like, don't you want to lean into this? Don't you want to get excited about the possibility? I, I love Star Wars as <laughs> fiction. Maybe we should just get into the next topic. I don't think there's Ewoks out there. <sighs> Listen, okay. isn't it like 90% of the ocean is unknown? There could be an Ewok in there. You don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> this is the kind of banter you're going to get on the Patreon. Okay, moving right along. All right. So I think this was the study that got you really like jazz hand excited to cover cover the moon again on the show. And this was, you know, reading the abstract, this was the study that made me go, okay, fine. Like, this sounds like it could be really interesting. I'll have a detailed look, but, you know, let's let's get this on the schedule. So this was another January 2021 study titled Women Temporarily Synchronize Their Menstrual Cycles with the Luminance and Gravitational Cycles of the Moon. And the study was a little bit different than any other studies that have looked at menstrual cycles before. They had 22 women who had recorded the date their period started for between 5 and 32 years. The average was 15 years. And the analysis basically looked at how that start date aligned with the lunar cycle. And they took into account all three types of lunar cycle. So we're used to sort of thinking of the moon cycle being from new moon, where you can't see it, to full moon, where it's a beautiful, round, glowing orb, and then the various right crescent moons and half moons that are in between. But that is actually driven by the two types of ways that the, the moon is orbiting. So there's something called the perigee-apogee cycle. So the moon has an elliptical orbit. It takes 27.5 days to orbit around the Earth. And the perigee-apogee cycle uh, is basically from its closest point to its farthest away point in that ellipse. And then there's also something called the lunar standstill cycle, which takes 27.3 days. And that it refers to uh, the angle of the moon relative to the Earth. So there's an inclination angle on that orbit. And so it takes 27.3 days to go through that full range of inclination angle. Those things together create the luminance cycle, which is from, again, from full moon to new moon back to full moon, which is a 29.5-day cycle. So when the scientists went through and looked at, they, they literally did these, like, raster plots of um, every single, you know, day that their period started over 15 years and then marked where the full moon and the new moon were in relation to those period start dates. And when you look at them, there are periods of time where not all of the women, but a lot of them have a, a sort of alignment for a few cycles, maybe a year's worth of cycles where they line up with either the full moon or the new moon. And what they did was they did some modeling to look at how often that happened. So what they showed was that 
um, the women who were younger than 35. So um, an interesting piece of this is that um, our menstrual cycles get shorter as we age. So um, women who are younger than 35 tend to have longer menstrual cycles. So menstrual cycles that are more similar in length of time on average to the lunar uh, cycle time. And older women tend to have shorter menstrual cycles that tend to be much shorter, a couple days shorter than the, the lunar cycle. So what they showed was that women who were under the age of 35 synchronized with either the full moon or the new moon. So their period either started uh, it during the, the glowy round orb or the I can't see the moon day, um, or I guess on either day of that night, 23.6% of the time. Whereas women who were over the age of 35 only synchronized 9.5% of the time with the full moon or the new moon. Um, I, can I jump in? Because yeah, please, one of the things that I heard you say was every once in a while, some of the women. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. An alternative telling of the story could be evidence shows the women's cycles aligned with the moon more often than can be scientifically explained otherwise. Um and both of us are saying the same thing. And I think this is one of the interesting things that I ask you to do, listener, when you're reading topics or hearing people talk about certain things. I mean, we have talked about conspiracy theories and scientific evidence and all this kind of stuff, right? Like Sarah and I are both saying the same thing, but it sounds very different out of both of our mouths because of each of our bias. You know what makes me feel better when I'm tired from lack of sleep, a synced menstrual cycle to the moon, and emotional <laughs> energies all out of whack from the moon? Uh, like real science? <laughs> well, okay, yes. Just Thrive, which is backed by legit science. I've been taking their immune health, their K2 through 7, and their probiotic. Did you see they have a new pet probiotic now i'm thinking that that would be great for itchy paws on animals yeah i love just thrive too all of their products are backed by actual science their four bacillus strains in their probiotic are all thoroughly studied with proven amazing benefits to gut health which is why we've talked about them on the show many times before and just thrive even performed a study with their probiotic showing it can reduce postprandial endotoxemia that means it reduces leaky gut Love that they have a real study, um, which is why, in all seriousness, we both do love Just Thrive and use it every day. I actually recommend it to my skincare clients to help with acne as well. You can get your own discounted at justthrivehealth.com and use code THEWHOLEVIEW for 15% off. And that includes bundles and subscriptions. So definitely double up on your savings. That's what I did. And it's like I buy two, get one free every time my probiotics are magically delivered to my door. That code again is the whole view for 15% off science-backed, evidence-based Just Thrive probiotics and all the Just Thrive products at justthrivehealth.com. I think it's really important when you are looking at information to try to go to the source. Um, one of the things that I thought was um, 
interesting in this article was um, that the study acknowledges the difficulty in tracking this information because the life cycle for women's menstruation changes over time. So for example, how pregnancy or hormones changing with age affects that percentage, which logically makes sense. And we have the modern infertility um, menstrual irregularities that occur in an estimated 14 to 25% of women in childbearing age. So when you take those kinds of things into consideration, whether we're talking about the moon or not, it is difficult to account for women's cycles. That's one of the reasons we don't see women often studied in science simply because it's a variable that's difficult to account for. So um, I did want to mention those things because I find that 24% or about 24% of the women um, aligning to the moon like more often is an interesting number that excites me. But it is a small data set. I will give you that. <laughs> it's only 22 women. Um, okay, I want to I talk about that number because I think saying that, um, so actually let's, let's first expand because that was looking at the full moon, new moon cycle. They also looked at the other types of lunar cycles and showed that um, they the alignment was only 13.1% of the time in women under 35 years old with the other types of orbits, but actually 17.7% of the time in the older women. And the authors actually conclude that the full moon to, to new moon lunar cycle is does not appear to be a strong Zeitgeber because any synchronization that occurred was only intermittent, only during particular periods. And actually three out of the 22 women in the study never aligned with the moon. Um, so they they basically say, huh, there, there could be something going on here. What's really interesting about the way they did the statistical analysis, um, because 23% of the time sounds sounds like it would be a lot. But one of the things that they didn't do was test the null hypothesis. So what they did do was they basically did like a best fit. Um, so they plotted how often um, the period started in relation to the lunar cycle. And instead of being a circle where it was like evenly on every single day, there was it was sort of a, a kind of little bit of an oval shape. So it looked like in that week or so close to the full moon and that week or so close to the new moon, there was a slightly higher frequency of the um, of their period starting. And so what the authors did was they did a best fit model. So looking at mathematical formulas that fit that pattern. And they found that the best fit was a binomial distribution. And what they did was they inputted different uh, lengths of time that the lunar cycle could be into the mathematical model. So they inputted 26, 27, 28, 29, 29.5, 30, 31, 32, and found that the best fit was also the match. But it wasn't a great fit. So at best, they had around uh, what would be a, a best fit number of 0.7. A perfect fit would be one. And what they didn't do uh, was how you would address this problem 
um, in other fields of scientific research, biologists tend not to have really strong mathematical backgrounds, um, which would be to test whether or not you, or how often you would expect alignment based on what you're comparing is two things that have a fairly similar um, period, a very like a very similar amount of time that they cycle through. So given that the, you know, a woman's cycle is between typically like 21 and 23 days, but it sort of averages around 28 or 29, given that the lunar cycle is 29.5 days, given that you're comparing these two things with really similar numbers, how often would you expect alignment to actually occur? And that would typically be done with something like a Monte Carlo simulation. You would have a hundred randomly generated um, sets of numbers that are sort of within that uh, amount of time that periods normally fluctuate. And then you would see how often that actually aligns. It's kind of not as simple to say, well, they're looking at whether or not periods start on four days out of 29.5, right? A day on either side of the full moon or the new moon. So if you just look at four days out of 29.5, that's 13.6% of the, of the days. So you would say 13.6% of the time. The probability doesn't actually work as logically as we think it does. It's not always intuitive. Um, and so there's some really good examples in um, sort of probability science to illustrate how um, how unintuitive probability can be. So for example, there's something called the birthday problem in probability. And this is basically calculating the chance that two people in a group of people share a birthday. And it turns out that in order to have a greater than 50% chance that two people in a group of people will share a birthday, you only need 23 people. So out of 365 or 66 possible birthdays, in a group of 23 people, basically in a classroom, a small classroom, there's a, over a 50% chance that two of those people will have the same birthday. And all you need is 70 people in a room to have a 99.9% .9 chance that two of them will have the same birthday. And that's not necessarily intuitive, but that's the type of probability calculations that need to be done around, you know, this, in the absence of any mechanism to explain what's going on, um, this type of calculation needs to be done for what is the probability that if you take 22 women, that their cycles are going to align with the lunar cycle, especially when it's defined broadly as either full moon or new moon. There's another very classic uh, probability problem called the Monty Hall problem um, from the, the show Let's Make a Deal where the contestants are given a choice of three doors. There's a prize behind one door. There's nothing behind the other doors. The contestant picks a door, and then the host shows them one the empty door of the ones they didn't pick. So let's say the contestant picked door one. The host says, okay, well, look, door three has nothing behind it. So do you want to stick with your first choice of door one, or do you want to pick door two? The participants feel like they have a 50-50 chance, and most participants actually stick with their first choice. But because it's not an independent probability, there's actually a two-thirds chance that the prize is behind door number two, the one that they didn't pick. Um, so the participants who switch actually have a much higher chance, about double the chance, 
of winning a prize compared to the participants who stick with their their first choice. And this has even been shown experimentally. Like the other classic example is casinos, right? The psychology is that you have a much better chance of winning than you actually do. The house does actually always win because every single game is set up so that the probability is that the house will win. So in the absence of a analysis um, looking at how likely is it, you know, the authors say this this is happened more often than would be expected by chance, but they didn't actually test, they didn't actually do the work to show how often you would expect it by chance. And that is my biggest problem with this study. I hear you. And I am not shocked that you're finding ways to explain away these findings. <laughs> but I'm, what? No, I know. I hear you. And I, I don't. Oh, I just muted myself, didn't I? I'm sorry. Oh, Matt, I I'm thought, so sorry. sorry. I had to click out for something. No, yeah. I like, I was hand talking and I pushed <laughs> press the mute. like the space bar or something, I whatever. It. I can only assume you said, Sarah, I agree with you at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I guess we're leaving this in and it's not a cut point. Okay. So I am, what I think we both wish is that there was more conclusive information. What I take away from this is that science can't exactly explain what's happening. That doesn't mean it's conclusive or proven wrong, but that we're learning. And that's super exciting for me. Seeing a study acknowledge that more women than expected had cycles affected by the moon is very validating because that's a belief that I have. That's my biased belief, right? <laughs> um, so maybe we should look at the second study, um, which I'm just going to tell you is not, I mean, it's not nearly as exciting, but. Yeah, because it, it doesn't show the yeah, same thing. Sarah, Sarah likes um, this study more. <laughs> So this study was published in March of 2021. It's titled The Relationship Between the Lunar Phase, Menstrual Cycle Onset, and Subjective Sleep Quality Among Women of Reproductive Age. Um, I think it's helpful to also mention that uh, being on any kind of birth control medication uh, was excluded from all of these different studies. Um, so this is trying to look at the natural menstrual cycle and not one that's hormonally controlled through uh, birth control pills, for example. Um, and so uh, they had 529 women, and they uh, recorded their cycles for six months using an app. And they the study showed no correlation between the time of menstrual onset and the lunar phase. Um, and they also took a fairly broad uh, way of defining lunar phase to look for any kind of signal and did not find one. Um, but then the authors started striating their data. So they striated by good sleepers versus poor sleepers. This was a subjective measurement based on a survey. It was not quantitative. It was not measured. It was like, how do you think you slept last night? What time did you fall asleep? What time did you wake up? So it was that type of, of survey. And we've talked on the show before about the limitations of those types of surveys. Um, and what they showed was in the participants who had a cycle that was that matched the lunar phase, so 29.5 days. Stick a pin in that because that's going to be really relevant to some of the other studies that have been done previously that we're going to talk about. In those studies whose periods matched the lunar phase, there was no relationship between uh, their menstruation and the moon, and there was certainly no relationship between their sleep quality and menstruation and the moon. But in participants who had uh, 
cycles that were either longer or shorter than the length of the, the lunar cycle. There was a small difference. Um, so basically, instead of being about 50-50, it was 55-45 of uh, having their periods onset um, during light versus dark. So in good sleepers, their periods tend to tended to onset during light phase and in poor sleepers tended to have their periods onset during dark phases. Again, a 5% difference. Um, the authors sort of postulate that lunar impact um, on sleep is affecting periods because the sleep is a physical stressor, um, but it's a fairly small effect in a subset of a subset of, of people. So again, and again, without testing null hypothesis. So, uh, this could be another file drawer problem. It's sort of, um, hard to accept. I think the moon affecting sleep as a mechanism when, as we've already covered, the most rigorous studies show that there's no link between lunar phases and sleep. When it relates to light. Yes. Or maybe we could be looking at why our cycles are the same length to begin with. Do you see how I set you up for where you want to go? Uh-huh. It's, it's, you just did. Volleyed it. I set you up. <laughs> Even though it's to my own detriment, I just opened that door for you to walk in. <laughs> uh, appreciate it. So I think that, you know, there, the, there have been studies, actually. I mean, I think the first study that looked at uh, menstruation and fertility um, in relation to the lunar cycle in humans was done in the 30s. So there have been a number of studies that have looked at this and the data has always been conflicting. So there was a big study in 1974, 6,000 cycles with no correlation. Um, there was a 1980 study in 312 women. And what they did was they created created a subset of only those women who had cycles that were the length of the lunar period and showed that a fraction of them had periods that started during the half of the month where the, the moon is brighter. Um, and then there was a 1987 study in 822 women who showed, again, took that subset of only those women who had cycles that were 29.5 days. They had five different data sets. Two of them of the five data sets showed uh, a small, about a 5% uh, increase in um, aligning with the moon, um, but three of the data sets did not. There was a 2013 study done in 74 women, again, with 980 menstrual cycles um, uh, tracked over a calendar year that showed no correlation with lunar cycles. So again, like the data is kind of all over the place. And again, this brings me back to needing to test what is the probability of menstrual cycles aligning given that the length of the female reproductive cycle is in the same neighborhood as the length of the lunar cycle. Um, and that because they're sort of similar lengths, you would expect there to be a larger probability that they would align just because they're two things that are kind of the, the same amount of time. If I think 
my my belief is that if there was an evolutionary pressure towards a menstrual cycle that aligned with the moon, we would see this in primates as well. And um, what you can see is that kind of the amount of times are um, a little bit more variable than you would think. So the, the two primates that are most closely related to us, chimpanzees and bonobos, bonobos menstrual cycles range between 32 and 35 days. Chimpanzees are around 37 days. Orangutans are around 29 days. Gorillas are 30 to 32. Uh, Patus monkeys are from 24 to 27. Vervet monkeys are 30 to 31 days. Mangabees are 30 to 34 days. Baboons are 30 to 35 days. And humans are 28 days on average, but it can range from 21 to 35. There was actually um, a study done a few years back. They had a database of more than 120,000 women and showed that our mean like average cycle length was 29.9 plus or minus 5.5 days in the younger age group, 25 to 29, and that it decreased with age. So the, the difference is basically 2.9 days between the youngest and, and the oldest on average. So it's, it's, I, I think that if the moon was a, was a driving force in menstrual cycles, we would see closer alignment in the length of the menstrual cycle with our primate relatives. I think the primate argument doesn't necessarily sway me. I get what you're saying. Um, simply because I think that the, I think it's related to the gravitational pull, acknowledging that this has not been proven. This is my hypothesis, right? And I have no way to measure because I am not a scientist. Um, but that the universe as a whole has some yet to be determined measured effect on all living things, like not just menstrual cycle. And it's one of those things that I can point to that I experience personally. And so therefore, I'm like, interested in the studies about it. But I get where you're going with that. I think what... Um, and I appreciate, Sarah, that you were at least interested enough to talk about it <laughs> to <laughs> take some sort of scientific approach. Um, I think what I'm most excited about is to talk about the findings of this third category of studies in particular, um, the first one that we're going to talk about on bipolar disease. And if I consider this extrapolated extrapolated what did I try to say extrapolated extrapolated <laughs> that's know. a good word it's because it's extrapolated across I think my brain was trying to jump yep. into two words um emotional well-being in general it has application to all of us right like all all of us that m might not have bipolar but um this is especially interesting to me because when I did that poll that I told you about, Sarah. I heard from so many teachers who told me there was no doubt children's behaviors are affected by the moon and even more nurses that it affects labor and delivery, that like the emergency room and the labor delivery like blow up on full moon days. Well, we covered that in our last I, show. It's all it's all anecdotal. Um, no, it's superstition. It's not anecdote. I, well, I, it's anecdote when people are telling me it's not hypothesis superstition. It's this is what people are telling me they're seeing. So perhaps they notice it more and all that kind of stuff. But what I'm saying is talking about emotional well-being and it being linked um, in this bipolar might then kind of cover that umbrella. Um, and it was interesting to me that it spoke to specific um 
gravitational pull and um, those kinds of things. So maybe we can dive in and I'm going to, listeners, you'd be shocked to know Sarah and I don't agree on this, <laughs> but it's super interesting nonetheless, no matter which take you have. So. Um, so this study was done in rapid cycling bipolar disorder in 17 patients. It was published in April, 2018, and the study is called bipolar mood cycles and lunar tidal cycles. And what they, they did is they had a couple years of data and they looked at how the, the mood from depression to mania cycled, um, and how that aligned with, um, basically the half cycle of the moon. So they looked at the uh, 14.8 day, uh, the basically from full moon to new moon and the 13.7 day, basically that inclination angle and the perigee apogee cycle. And um, what they, they basically found was that uh, in various patients at various times, that's the study's author's <laughs> language, not mine, uh, that mood cycles exhibited five different modes of resonance with the biweekly lunar cycles. So in 17 patients, there were five different possible patterns that they sometimes had and sometimes cycled between. Uh, so there was a what they called a one to two mode. Uh, so they where the mood cycle was synchronous with every second biweekly lunar cycle, a one to three mode in which the mood cycle was synchronous with every third biweekly lunar cycle, a two to three mode in which every second mood cycle was synchronous with every third biweekly lunar cycle, a one to four mode in which every mood cycle was synchronous with every fourth biweekly lunar cycle, and a one to six mode in which every mood cycle was synchronous with every sixth biweekly lunar cycle. No causality was established. There was no attempt to predict the next mood cycle. It was a very small study with five different patterns that were possible that patients sometimes had and sometimes switched between. Um, I think you can hear hear my amount of skepticism based on this data, but Stacy, I know I know you're excited. I want to I want to read from the abstract because I think that it tells the story and I hear from it what I want to hear and you hear from it from what you want to hear. And I think it will help our listeners understand why we are on two sides of the fence hearing the same study. So <clears throat> the nature of the mechanism that makes it possible for an object as small as the human body to be affected by the minute changes in gravity that are associated with the lunar tidal cycles, which you've mentioned, Sarah, is unclear and is a question for future research. So Sarah's like, yes, there you go. It's unclear, mm -hmm. period. For me, I'm like, it's for future research. <laughs> As a possible answer, those that did the study have developed a model based on quantum physical approach to the problem. And although skepticism is warranted, lunar mood cycles may be an experiment of nature that is pointing towards aspects of gravity and biophysics that are only beginning to be investigated. And then they went on to say, we hypothesize that in ancient times, human reproductive behavior was synchronous with the moon, but our modern lifestyles have changed reproductive psychology and behavior. And researchers say that these findings suggest both moonlight and the moon's gravitational influence, menstruation, although it isn't, oh no, that's the one about menstruation. Never mind. Ignore that last line. Leave it at affect psychology and behavior. <laughs> I put the wrong quote in the wrong place. This is what happens when you get a non-scientist pulling from scientific articles. Um, 
But I think my point is that there's a lot of hypothesis. There's a lot of, you know, like unclear, which Sarah is completely warranted in pointing out. What is interesting to me is that it exists and we're pointing at, hey, we're we're recognizing that there are some things that are unexplainable and we want to look into it more to learn more about it, which is exactly where I am with the moon, right? I obviously don't have an answer um, and I don't believe in daily horoscopes, but I am super fascinated by it. Yeah, I mean, my uh, bachelor's degrees in honors physics, I graduated with distinction. I did advanced quantum mechanics. Um, all I can say is, um, again, though, if there was a study that could actually show an effect, I would be very interested. Um, I, um, I feel like with 17 patients, um, this type of, I feel like we're searching for a pattern in noise and finding five different patterns in that noise. Um, and I think that, um, I think that hypothesizing that when the moon was closer to the earth in the very distant past, I mean, the moon has not, its radius has not changed that much. So the, the, uh, because of the tidal forces, there is drag on the moon and it is gradually, uh, moving away from the earth and, and achieving a, a larger and larger orbit. Um, the, the distance though, that change over the, amount of time of like evolution of life is not that big. Like the difference from when the planet formed four-ish billion years ago, that's a fairly large, large change in where the moon is. But in like the last 1.5-ish billion years, there's only about 40,000 kilometers difference in where the moon is, which is a fairly small percentage over the, a quarter of the the earth's history and the recent quarter in which, which life started to evolve. So it's, um, it's, I, again, I sort of feel like, uh, what in physics we would call a hand wave explanation where it's basically <laughs> like waving my hands and ta-da, see this thing happened. It, it basically, uh, refers to, I don't actually know how, how A and B are potentially linked. And I think that, the the evidence even for there being an effect is pretty sketchy um there i do want to bring in a couple of follow up studies that were done to this bipolar study cuz i think i want to i want i want Bef completeness before we jump into those i do want to say my take on saying that the hypothesis in ancient times is affected by modern lifestyle, not necessarily like the closeness of the moon. That's how I took it. Um, uh, more like we we made light at night, and we kind and of ignore. Yeah, and I think I think it goes beyond that in general. Not that this is in the study, just from my own beliefs, is that like we do a lot of um, avoiding intuition, and we're no longer kind of connected to the earth in the same way that when we were hunter gatherers per se, we, mm -hmm. you, you know, you know more, like if you look at kind of tribal culture, they understand um, the natural elements of the earth and they work within it versus I think in modern lifestyle, we kind of fight against it to get what we want. And we do that really successfully, like skyscrapers as an example, right? So I, I just think when I read that ancient times versus now, I think of it in terms of like, um, it's difficult to look at how the moon might be affecting us because we're not kind of in touch with the earth and 
universe in general, the way that we might have been in, in terms of being able to track north, south, east, and west from the way that the stars move, for example, right? Like you and I, are, we don't have the sky memorized in order to tell us where we are and which direction to go because we have a GPS device. Um, and that's, I, that's kind of how I interpreted it. Um, okay, accepted. Um, but the thing I want to push back on is if the hypothesis is that it's a gravitational effect on our water molecules, that should occur whether we're aware of it or not. Gravity is gravity. Curvature of space-time. Yeah, I agree. And I think that we as humans fight that a lot of the time. I think those of us um, who are just fight doing gravity, doing our daily routine, fighting the fact the effects that the gravitational pull has on psychology and behavior, which is what the article noted, and mm. that w- when we're living our modern life and we have to do we have a routine and this is what we're doing today instead of being like, Oh, I just want to like lay on the sofa. Like we get up and we do the thing anyway. Cause that's kind of modern lifestyle. Not that cavemen were laying on sofas, but that's at least what I'm, what my take on it is. We can dive more into <laughs> what, what our various beliefs are on Patreon. Let's get to this last study, which I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm like, mm, I mean, this one I wouldn't have pulled, but I know that's why you're pulling it, but it's, like once it's one person like why are we looking at a study with one person why are we looking at a study with 17 because it's more than one (laughs) okay so this one was part of the 17 um so what they did was they had it was the the one that had like the strongest alignment with the lunar cycles uh was study it was it was uh patient number eight uh, from the previous study And um, what they did was they looked at how the sleep-wake cycles cycled with mood and the lunar cycle. And what's interesting about rapid cycling bipolar disease is that there is uh, insomnia. Um, Insomnia and then like super sleeping are part of the transition between the the two sort of mood states, right? Depression versus mania. Um, and so they were sort of looking at that, but then looking at, um, how the, their sleep, uh, circadian rhythm was impacted by moods and lunar cycle. And, um, what they ended up doing was putting the patient on a very rigid schedule. Basically we're going to bed at this time. We're waking up this time and, um, we're going to sleep in the dark was, was the, the schedule in an institution. And actually, once they did that, the lunar signal in their mood, um, their mood cycling stopped and the lunar signal stopped as well. Um, so it was interesting to me to sort of see that this intervention of cementing a sleep routine was able to, um, stop first that lunar synchrony and then the mood cycling eventually, um, there was another case study, not part of that, a 17, um, where they had a 67-year-old woman, again, with rapid cycling bipolar disorder on lithium maintenance. And um, they basically showed that um, her moods were cycling with the moon. They ended up treating um, hypothyroidism. So there's a, a really interesting... Uh, effect where 
um, there's a, a connection between bipolar disease and hypothyroidism and some evidence that some bipolar disease is actually driven by undiagnosed hypothyroidism. And um, what they did for this woman was they treated her thyroid and her um, mood switches basically completely like they normalized the thyroid. They, again, sort of synchronized sleep. And the previous synchrony between her mood cycles and the moon cycles disappeared once they basically treated her thyroid. And eventually her mood cycles also decreased so or went away. Um, so the, I mean, the authors were basically saying that mood cycling was somehow contingent on the antidepressant treatment that she was on beforehand and the decreased thyroid function and that the, the light dark cycle entrenchment along with actually treating thyroid was able to normalize the, and uh, regulate bipolar illness. So again, it's another case study, but in the, in the interest of being comprehensive and kind of to address every study on how lunar cycles may or may not impact human biology. Since we last talked about this, I wanted to cover everything. No, I appreciate that. And honestly, it's, it doesn't surprise me. And I think that's a good example of what I mean by modern lifestyles. And I think like the quote that I mentioned about ancient times, um, the, human behavior sinking differently than in modern lifestyles. Like this is a really good example um, of that in terms of creating a sleep cycle and medication are ways to improve the behavior, right? It's not to say that like we're worse off away from ancient times. I think it's fantastic that um, we're finding these links and can treat them and help um, but it just is an interesting umbrella concept for me to think about emotional well-being potentially affected by the moon in that first study. So um, I will say what um, was interesting is this kind of last mechanism um, piece about um, the dark side of the moon. It's a, a good name for it. Do you want to dive into this one before we pop off? Yeah, so one of the things that I, I did was I grabbed as many, you know, of the I, I basically pulled every single paper that talked about lunar cycles, including all of the papers of scientists who are really trying to explain lunar cycles. And so there are a couple of review articles that looked at kind of what we did in our previous show, where we looked at um, how certain types of marine life uh, synchronize, especially their reproduction to the lunar cycle and what are the genetic mechanisms um, that are entrenching that circulunar clock. And then uh, looking at the sort of hodgepodge of studies that <laughs> definitely do not show a pattern in terms of whether or not there is even effect because some studies show no effect, some studies show an effect. Um, the more rigorous studies tend to show no effect. Um, and so they, they kind of go like, and here's maybe some effect in humans, more studies needed. And, you know, I agree that, you know, that there's an interesting question here and some bigger studies could help um, either clarify an effect or put a nail in the coffin to this hypothesis for forever. Um, but in marine life, they've identified uh, genetic 
clock genes are similar to the genes that are regulating circadian rhythm, right? The 24 hour day cycle that are synchronized by moonlight. It appears to be that moonlight is the main driver um, entrenching the, those particular clock genes, not tidal forces or gravitational forces, even in marine life that are submerged in the ocean that is impacted by tidal forces. Um, so there are genes, for example, CRY1 gene and CRY2 gene in corals that have been identified and are, are fairly well understood to be uh, driving this particular clock. There is no similar gene or mechanism identified in mammals. And I think that's one of the things, you know, we talked about um, this sort of way back in episode 423, where we talked about the scientific method and talked about the different types of studies and statistical power and the importance of mechanistic studies and what the body of scientific literature needs to look like in order to reach scientific consensus. And the, the lack of a um, plausible mechanism um, that, uh, you know, when we have something to look for based on what we see in marine life, and we're not finding that in mammals, um, we're not finding, um, hormones that cycle based on the, the lunar clock. Um, you know, we're not finding that signal in humans. And so, um, the lack of mechanism again, for me is the, the, the final thing that just makes me very skeptical about whether or not there's any effect here that's worth, worth, uh, taking into consideration in our daily lives. And for me, it's one step closer than where you were before in the last podcast. Like, I feel like the studies are getting closer or at least coming up with hypothesis that looks like real science in a way that I hope, um, like I don't understand quantum fits. I don't understand quantum physics, but I am excited that there's potential science happening and studies being done that could help understand what feels like N equals one science for me, right? Like I know my cycle sinks to the moon and I know people in my life who are directly affected by the moods cycles on their moods. Um, and until there is science that is woo woo. And I joke about it because I recognize that that is like N equals one woo woo. Um, and I don't have like, I, I wish that I had something that I could point to that would help me understand it um, and that would make sense of things. And so I'm excited by the idea that we're we're getting there. Um, but all that to say, um, clearly Sarah and I agree to disagree on this one, but I genuinely <laughs> don't think that we're like saying things that are that different as much as we're eye rolling one another. I do think that we're kind of saying the same thing, um, which I think is important for us to acknowledge. Um, and we're still friends. <laughs> like, like it's not often that we have <laughs> yep. podcasts that we disagree on. Um, but if you want to hear us hash it out and what we really think and feel um, over on our non PG Patreon, please join us at Patreon dot com slash the whole view um because this will be a fun one i imagine <laughs> well thanks for listening and we'll be back next week can i say we'll be back with some real science next week oh, snap 
we love providing the Whole View podcast for you as a free resource. You can support the show by using the links and codes we share in our podcast. And we love to read your reviews and chats wherever you listen. And don't forget to share our podcast with your friends and family. Speaking of chat, did you know that you can get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon? When you support us with your Patreon membership, you get access to live Q&As and weekly bonus audio. But they're not for kids' ears because our bonus content is explicit. You can also stay in touch with us via our social media channels. I'm at Real Everything Blog. And I'm at The Paleo Mom. And we've got more great resources on our websites and in our newsletters. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.